Good morning, FCBC. Great to see all of you here and all of those who are joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, my name is Doug Hunt, and I'm happy to be with you today sharing uh, some thoughts and reflections on the theme of hope. And uh, for those who might have forgotten, a little refresher, we're in the midst of a series on faith, hope, and love in the context of our FCBC neighborhood. And Last month, we began by looking at faith, and this month in May, we're diving deep into hope. Um, we often see this triad of faith, hope, and love in, in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. And in my study Bible, it lists nine different places where these three virtues appear. First Corinthians 13 is probably the most familiar to us, where it talks about, at the very end of that chapter, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Um, Thessalonians 5.8 talks ab about these three and uses the metaphor of armor, where faith and love are seen as a breastplate and the hope of salvation is a helmet. We see that also in 1 Colossians and 1 Thessalonians. The Thess Thessalonians reference is interesting in that uh, faith, hope, and love are linked to other words the verse goes like this. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we're in good company to be looking at these three, faith, hope, and love. Good. The second sort of area uh, that I just wanted to mention is, you know, we're talking about faith, hope, and love in reference to place. And probably won't surprise you that place is very important in the Bible. When we're talking about uh, the scriptures, we look back in the Old Testament, and Old Testament prophets typically would deliver their messages to particular people in particular places and times. So maybe that would be Nineveh or Egypt, Babylonia or Assyria. And in the New Testament, as we just heard, uh, the Apostle Paul particularly would customize his letters to people of particular cities. So Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, uh, Ephesus, and Colossae. So to, script, to uh, put Scripture within particular place context is, is uh, again, a practice that we see throughout the Bible. So our, our hope is that in, through this series, we'll be able to understand faith, hope, and love in our particular context as we think about our neighborhood, um, I think about it in sort of as an intersection of three distinct communities, and you're hearing a bit about each one of those in our series. Uh, we have, of course, the community of the UW campus, uh, and includes over 40,000 students from across the country and around the world. Peter's helping us understand more about uh, that particular community and faith, hope, and love within it. Marianne and I are talking about the Triangle, which is a community of several hundred people, uh, pretty diverse residents, uh, many of whom have uh, financial uh, restrictions and challenges. And then the third area is uh, Greenbush community, which is, the, I would sort of describe it as um, a, a community of families. And since the founding of Madison, that area has really been a place where families have established homes and lived alongside others doing the same. Scott is talking about Greenbush. So we, um, we have said that, and over time, FCBC has had this call to this area, this, this neighborhood, uh, and, is a, and as 
folks who attend and are members of FCBC's community, we're also called to this neighborhood. And we're really a congregation in mission, and I think we're, we're learning and diving in more to that idea as we, we go along. So, um, faith, hope, and love. Last time we were together, Marianne and I talked about faith, and in, we referenced the call of Abraham, who was called to go on this journey, right, uh, from Babylonia to the promised land. He responded in faith. It was faith in action. And it, um, res- God's promise to him was that he would make him a that he would bless him and his descendants, and they would be a blessing to all nations. So we assign that, that God was fulfilling both his missional purposes and he was transforming Abraham as a man of faith. And in that talk, Marianne talked, uh, shared a fair number of stories about her time in the triangle, particularly over this last year, and how her faith had grown and developed as a result of... Uh, being involved there, not just her, but also others in the church. So in thinking about hope, um, just want to contrast it with something Scott said a few weeks ago. He called it, it's, it's not wish, wishful thinking. So the hope we're talking about here today is the hope we have because of our relationship in, with uh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As it says in Psalm 33, 18, We have hope in the one in whom love is unfailing. So it's our faith in God that activates our hope and love. And it's this firm foundation. So this morning, I'm going to, as I was thinking about what we would share, um, I was really drawn to the story of Jeremiah, and which uh, the, the book of Jeremiah, and particularly the context which includes a letter in chapter 29 that he writes to the exiles, Hebrew exiles, who had gone to, who had been taken captive and gone to Babylon. And I particularly was intrigued by the instructions that are given in that chapter, as I think they point to ways that we can cultivate hope in our neighborhood and in some ways identify with the this, this theme of exile that uh, is found in Scripture. So um, we'll, I'm going to jump into those instructions in a few minutes. But first, I, I want to think a little bit about the theme of exile um, and both the impact it had on the faith of the Hebrew people, but also sort of, again, our experience. What we are called in First Peter 2, aliens and strangers. Another way of saying that is exiles in the world. And so I think we have things to learn about what exile means, both for us and for our witness. So to help us with that, uh, I have found a short video from the Bible Project that talks about the Bible's exile theme, and we'll watch that first. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. 
you're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves, conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story, how they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Um, They didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh, yeah. Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the promised land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now, eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did... It wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now, Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created. And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way, that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. 
they believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. Of that Bible project, they've got great videos, and uh, I'm thankful for that one in particular because I was un- really unfamiliar with how central their view that, and I think it's scripturally sound that the exile is a, is a sort of central feature of our both our experience and of the journey, especially of the Hebrew people. Um, so there's a couple of things I wanted to point out from the video that I think help us understand our context, uh, at least for me, it did. So he says, the narrator says in the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal, that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. And as I was thinking back on my uh, journey to faith, I think that that phrase, an uh, this alienation and longing, that was definitely something that I experienced. And as I looked back, uh, in, as a young adult, I remember sort of a couple of incidents that particularly drove this home. Um, so when I was in high school at the age of 16, I, I had the opportunity to be an, a foreign exchange student, and I was sent to live in South Africa for a year. So this was 1976, long time ago, uh, but it was at the heart of apartheid in that country, which is a system of uh, racial segregation and that, in my experience there, was absolutely jarring. So everything, if you can imagine, was segregated from the post office to the grocery stores to schools to churches to communities. And if, so all around me in that experience, I could see how, you know, the evidence of, of a world that was incredibly broken, and I had that inconsolable longing that C.S. Lewis talks about, and I had it deep in my soul. But I really didn't know what to do with it. Um, so I returned home and went off to college, but the longing never quite left me. And the, I remember the summer before I came to Christ, I was living with friends in Washington, D.C., and, you know, I was sort of living the dream. I had a great internship at the State Department. I was headed to my dream school, Georgetown, in the fall. I had my sights set on working in the diplomatic corps or maybe in international development. But in the in- midst of that exciting time, one of my housemates became pregnant unexpectedly. And in the crisis of that desperate moment, she was left incredibly alone, and she chose, chose to abort the baby. And it was devastating. And that longing for a better home came rushing back to my consciousness, and I knew I was lost. I still didn't know what I exactly was lost, but I knew I was lost. I knew that there was something missing. And and as I've listened to Peter describe the, uh, that's why I was probably 20, 19 or 20, and as I've heard heard Peter talk about the uh, sort of the alienation or depression and anxiety that seems to be so prevalent among students today, I wonder if that same longing is perhaps there. I'm sure it's different because the world today, 50 years later, is different than the world of my uh, young adult years. But I 
can't uh, but believe that perhaps there's something of that existential longing that many students face, not only students but others as well. And I find myself thinking and asking God, you know, Lord, help us as a church find ways to uh, cultivate hope. And we'll hear, we're hearing more about that through, through Peter. But the second statement that kind of caught my ear is that uh, in the Bible, exile is the human condition. And often we are creating Babylons of our own making. And I, this, I want to re- sort of that thought, I want to relate to, to our, our experience in the triangle. Um, so when I think about creating Babylons of our own making, I think, uh, yes, you can talk about status and money as being a Babylon that some people seek after. But there's also the uh, folks like me who work in government who have the, the, the good fortune to be able to try to address, um, you know, certain economic disparities and other challenges that uh, kind of beset communities in Madison, including folks in the Triangle. And I just wanted to highlight that some of that, um, you know, we really do our best as government workers. We we try, t- we have the best of intentions, but often the uh, policies and approaches uh, fall short. And I think that's because we're we're failed humans, and we but we live in a broken society. So we have challenge, you know, we have challenges that does in designing policies that really do what we hope. So I just wanted to give you a couple examples um, where I see it. And I, my work, I work in the, at Dane County uh, Human Services, and my work for my entire career has been around employment for people with uh, disabilities. And just, just to give you an idea of kind of the challenges of, of uh, the systems that we've created, you might call them sort of Babylons, um, so we in order to get the services that my department provides, you have to be found eligible. And in that eligibility process, we tend to focus on all the things a person can't do. So the eligibility is deficit-based. But then someone like me comes along, and after you're qualified for services, my approach is, well, let's figure out how we can help you work. Um, because and So then I sort of switch to, well, let's talk about your assets and figure out how we can uh, maximize and uh, utilize those to help you work. So, you know, if you're in that system, it can probably feel a little disjointed and maybe a little ironic that first you have to prove what you can't do before you can get services to help you do what you want to do. That's just sort of the Babylon we've created, It, but it's the design is there so that we make sure we're helping the people who really need it. And then the other sort of quick example on this would be if you live in subsidized housing, um, in this is, would be true across the nation, typically your rent is uh, calculated as a percentage of your income. So someone like me, again, might be encouraging people to work, but if you live in subsidized housing, if your income goes up, what happens to your rent? It goes up. And by the way, your food stamp allocation, that probably be, will be affected as well. So while you're ahead to work, there's still the net gain sort of uh, is, is narrows. And for people who face disability or the challenges associated with significant health issues, it can be difficult. Difficult to, ju- to move forward in hope. And I think that's something that we see a lot, and that's something for someone like me we try to address. 
So inadvertently, we created a Babylon that with you know, the best of intentions, but because of these systems, which are uh, not perfect, sometimes people are left feeling hopeless and stuck. And I think that's part of the challenge we have as we're working with folks uh, in the triangle who have a lot of assets, but maybe don't always have hope that they, are, they can change their circumstance uh, to a significant degree. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on to Jeremiah 29 and sort of think about, okay, what did Jeremiah say in his letter to the exiles that uh, were instructions that could bring them hope? Uh, perhaps Doug's got the scripture. If you don't have it on your phone or your Bible, we're looking at Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. I see it back there. Thank you, Doug. Let me read it for you. Uh, 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So, just a few points here, and I, I'll try to draw a principle that I see. So the first instruction. This is curious. Think about this. You're in exile and you get a letter from Jeremiah who's back in the promised land and these are the things he's telling you to do. Um, may or may not make a lot of sense to you at first hearing. So first one, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So in spite of their dislocation and being a minority amongst a foreign people, God tells the Hebrews to settle in and live with their neighbors. So this wasn't going to be a time when they would cloister and just sort of count off the days before the exile would end. The, God expected them to join the neighborhood. And so the principle I see here is uh, sort of this instruction to be present in the community as a way of cultivating hope. When a book I, I recently read called The New Parish describes it, and I think, in kind of an interesting way. So what does presence look like? The author talks about it as being presence that is both within and in with. And the within part means that we root ourselves deeply in the place that God's planted. And we expect that our sense of community as a church and our formation and participation in God's mission will be rooted in that community. So we're with and in the community. But there's also an aspect of presence that is in and with. And in this sense, uh, think about community, our being in the community, but sometimes we're also with others who also share the desire for the flourishing of the community. And I think back to our garden day that we had a couple weeks ago. Some of you were, uh, were there and, in, and uh, heard about it, or maybe you've heard about it. So the, the, there is a triangle community garden that is managed by a committee of gardeners from the triangle and um, we didn't initiate the workday sort of on our own we we heard about it uh, the need for help through a conversation with triangle residents and we probably would not have heard about it had we not been with and in the community so that sort of 
But when we heard about the need, we were like, oh, I don't think our little church is probably going to be able to meet all of the needs they had. Oh, there were, there's 36 plots. Many of the gardeners who have limitations needed help with tilling. There was fencing that was needed to keep out the rabbits. There was tons of invasive weeds. Um, so we put out the call, and we had over 40 volunteer, well, 40 people come that day. So God really answered in that way. There were they were about evenly split between FCBC. I'm sorry, between gardeners and volunteers. But the volunteers included folks from our church, from the Chi Alpha Student Group. Thank you, Jillian. From New Culture Church and from just residents of of Tag Evers Alder District because he had put the word out that we were having this work day. So our presence in that, in that day, on that day was really an in and with. We were in the community, but we were with others. But, and we got a lot done as a result. And I, I think we, in doing that cultivation, literally cultivation of the soil, we were really cultivating relationships. In fact, this past week I had a chance to sit with one of the committee members, and he uh, mentioned that the garden looks better than ever and that it really gives him a lot of hope. So um, thank you to all who had a part in that. So the next verse, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. So this was a challenge. What principle will I pull from this instruction? And I I think that the, the... Oh, I'll share that in just a second. But um, let's, I'll just tell you now. This, the principle is plan for the future by partnering well. And um, so the verse 10 of chapter 29, a little further down, re- Jeremiah reveals that the exile is going to last 70 years. So when I think about that with modern years, I think, oh, 70 years, that's within my lifetime. You know, if I came as a child, I'll likely be able to go back home before I die. But if you're living in 586 BC, life expectancy was more likely around 35 years. So the exile was going to last generations. And there would, and if you're a grandfather like me, there was probably this reality that, oh, geez, uh, the bad choices I made in the, prom- in the promised land are going to affect my children, and they're also going to affect my grandchildren. So there would be this sort of sense of, uh, I'm sure, regret. But what was advised was, you know, don't just give up. Marry. Have kids. Have them marry. And I think what the principle there is, like, increase, don't decrease, as it says, but they were increasing their family household, but also their spiritual household of faith. And as I think about our call in the triangle, I think about that, um, and something that's been highlighted and pointed out by by Susan and others, um, is that there are already followers of Jesus in the triangle who are longtime residents and have vision and hope and a burden for their neighbors. In fact, some of them attend church here. So we have the unique opportunity to come alongside and help them increase and not decrease. And because I think that, uh, I mean, I believe that really it's partnering with them that uh, really holds sort of the key for the future of witness in the neighborhood. And that's really important for us to recognize. So 
We wanted, Marianne and I wanted to, to draw a voice from the, from the triangle in today to hear their view about hope and faith. So I've asked, um, we have a short story from someone. I wanted to record her, but she was shy about it. So I've asked Marianne if she would read her short reflection. This is written by our friend Katie Marty. I always uh, appreciate her insights and her thoughts. Hope is on the triangle. A triangle is a three-sided object with three points. Hope is a being. Hope is a feeling and a way of being. Sometimes they come together and form a neighborhood called the Triangle. That is where I live with my glorious cat, Humphrey. (laughs) Many live on this lot of land from various places, walks of life, and belief systems. And here, as is everywhere, people gather with all sorts of issues and life trials and tribulations. There is poverty, there is criminality, there is racism, sexism as well as all those other isms. At times when, I, when one looks out the window, there's a street running fast with traffic, cars, buses, bikes, and pedestrians. It leaves one to ponder at times, who are they? Where are they going? And why in such a rush? Among all of this activity, one could become quickly perplexed by all the discord and seemingly disconnected goings-on. One might even become angry at life as it is or as it has become. So many people, so many things and places to get lost at times perhaps even feeling a loss of hope. That hope feels like God is not providing. Hope comes out in the form of handouts or a hand up would, of hope. <laughs> so there's both. A meal, a free bus ticket, or a water bottle. They're all very nice, charitable measures, but once that is gone and done, it is gone and done. Now, let's not forget those offerings are extremely important and replenish the body and offer a time of relief from the intense, prolonged agony one can live in. There is more, more to come from us. There is justice work to be done. But what is that? Is it taking a step back and take a look, a long look at the situation? How did these people come to be in need of water, a bus ticket? Uh, it, It could have its roots way back there under the isms mentioned earlier. They intermingle among, betwixt, and between one another. Listen for a moment. It's in the air. A march has commenced as people shout, 
proudly, loudly, all about how black lives matter. There's a capital at the top of my street with many offices contained within, full of diplomats to be seen. The air is full of excitement and intrigue. What would the world look like through God's eyes? He who provides the living water to quench our thirst. He who brings hope for those who are oppressed by the oppressive systems we have put in place. Let us reach out from within our deepest soul and acknowledge and take action steps while ultimately acknowledging the goals of the work of justice. It is through much love, mutual support, and determination in which hope will come. <laughs> it's really with believers like that who we can learn from and grow with as we um, cultivate hope in the neighborhood. So we look forward to doing that more in the future. The last of the instructional verses is verse 7, and there's two parts. Seek the pro peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile, and be, pe be so I, the yes, which I've carried you into exile. So the principle here is, I believe, to be peacemakers. And sometimes that requires uh, stepping out in support of those, uh, our, na our neighbors in the triangle. And I think of uh, the example that, again, some of you have heard about uh, is this, that arose really, again, sort of not because we initiated, but, but because we were present in the community, we heard about it. So late last year, the Triangle residents heard that the city was pursuing its plan to uh, construct a street through the Triangle. And the uh, street would run from Regent Street through to West Washington Avenue. So the, um, there was, it was included in, a, in the master plan, but there was growing concern that the street would create a lot of cut-through traffic. So uh, during rush hour, people who didn't want to go through the lights, would cut through the triangle on Badger game days, and it would create this this uh, great amount of traffic that would potentially be a safety risk both to the triangle residents on, in, who live in CDA housing, Community Development Authority housing, and to Bayview, where there's a lot more families and young kids. So the... Uh, the, the call was, let's, how are we going to speak to power? How are they going to speak to power? And, you, and what we learned is that that's not as easy as one might think, even in a democracy. So Tag Evers, the alder, wrote up an amendment to the city's master plan, but the amendment had to go through three committees and the city council to be passed. And what we were learned from Tag, who sits on the city council, is that really the most effective voices to speak to the issue were going to be the voices of Triangle residents. Now, the, the challenge was that due to COVID, in-person testimony wasn't possible, and most of the residents didn't have the computer technology required to join the city's virtual meeting. So uh, that was the, the challenge. Now, I was part of a group. I was just invited in because I think they knew of me, and... Uh, our work at, as SCBC over there. And so the, but we weren't alone. There was a whole group that gathered, did instructional sort of outreach to residents and 
help them identify the issues that they would need to speak to. And then we, you know, sort of did the practical thing of setting up a laptop and we gathered some residents who went, who were willing to speak and the uh, they were able to do that, speak the truth to power. And despite vigorous debate in those first three committees and staff opposition to the elimination of this cut through street over in the end, and I do think it was really because the voices of Triangle residents were amplified, the city staff relented and the committees passed the amendment and the city council passed it as well. So that, yeah, great, great news. Um, in the process of doing that, you know, sort of we learned again of how to be with and uh, partner with others in this kind of peacemaking effort. So at times we're gonna, we may be called to that kind of solidarity as we're working with people in the triangle. And uh, it, was, it was not, and I learned a lot, and Marianne as well, we learned a lot in that process. Um, so the second part of, of that, verse seven, is this, pray to the Lord for it, meaning the city. Pray to the Lord for the city, again, the city where they were exiled, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I think there it's pretty clear what the principle is. We need to be praying. Um, for the the cultivation of hope in the triangle in that particular neighborhood, and I think here again the prosperity not just in the material sense, so they were, but in the sense of shalom, a flourishing and wholeness of soul, mind, body, and spirit. So prayer is going to be key. Obviously, we know that, and we um, we need it to break down walls of a bondage and oppression. So that you know healing can happen and flow, and that hope can ultimately arise. So, again, another great uh, point for us to press into in the coming you know months, years, time we're together. All right, the last. I just want to sort of close us out with. Uh, I don't want to end our time in Jeremiah 29 without reading through the hopeful verses that we find in verse in 10 through 14. And, yeah, so this, this uh, I'm going to read it and listen in for the message of hope. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, meaning the promised land. For surely I know the plans I have for you all, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you to exile, that place from captivity. I'm going to gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. So, Sort of my final thoughts on cultivating hope in is really sort of contained in these three verses. I think what we first hear here is that God, um, you know, it's going to keep his promise. He's going to return his people to the home they once knew in the promised land, so he had not forsaken them. Nothing was going to separate them from his covenant plan. No transgression, no disobedience, no idolatry. So God would, could be trusted with that. And then he describes a little bit more, I think the gives us a picture of what that return is going to look like. He says in verses 12 and 13, you're going to call on me and come and pray to me and I'm going to listen. 
You're going to seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I see the second way that God's really cultivating hope is that his plan is, is for restored relationship. So it wasn't just a return to a physical land. It was, it was to be a restored relationship with him. And then the last piece would be this um, verse 14. I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity from all the nations and places where I banished you. I think, and you know, biblical scholars would say that there's a future kind of uh, end times hope in, in contained in that verse. That we, uh, are, and uh, we are included, the, ch- the, the children of God are included in that hope of ultimate restoration of his kingdom that will come at the end of time. So we, we know, like the exiles, um, what our ultimate destination is. So it's kind of a foreshadowing of what that will be. Um, so that universal experience of, ex- of uh, longing and exile is, is not what the end will be. We'll have that physical restoration of a kingdom and a spiritual restoration of relationship. So that should leave us with a lot of hope. Um, yeah, <laughs> that will hopefully, lead, yes, lead it with, leave us with a lot of hope. And I think the... Um, just sort of close with this idea that as we cultivate presence, so again, mentioned presence, we talk, we pay attention to our gifts, the gifts of our neighbors, partner with them well, that we become peacemakers and prayerful partners. I think we are going to be uh, cultivating hope in the neighborhood. So I want to close with this verse from First Peter two. 11 and 12, again, where Peter refers to us as foreigners and exiles. And I like this version from the message uh, version of the Bible, as I think it speaks to our modern context in Madison. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that um, you don't leave us in that place of uh, exile. You... You don't leave us in that place of hopelessness, that you've provided uh, Jesus as a way to um, restore relationship with you, and that if we know Jesus, that we have um, been given that invitation to relationship and that hope that we know lies in the not only that your kingdom come here and now, but your ultimate kingdom come on earth. Lord, I pray that uh, you, as you uh, work through us and in us, that you'll help us adopt the practices that uh, will cultivate hope among the, the communities that we call our neighborhood. I thank you for this body and for the leaders who lead us and the plan you have. It's a good plan. It's a plan for the future. It's a plan for hope. 
And uh, I just thank you that we can journey together on this, uh, on this plan and on this path. So we thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness in all things. Amen.